we got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the dim. It go down. It go down in the dim. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus vest that expires seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Looking to refresh your closet, home, or beauty routine this spring? Walmart's got all the stylish goods in one stop. From chic new looks and the latest makeup to quality furniture and tableware. Go to walmart.com slash now trending. That's walmart.com slash now trending for the hottest fashion, home, and beauty finds. Your style at Walmart. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. The following contains depictions of emotional abuse, depression, and death by starvation that some listeners may find offensive. We advise caution for any listeners under 13. Something to note. All myths have many versions and variations. For this episode, we've selected those we felt are the most dramatic and entertaining and supplemented them with additional research into Greek traditions. Because mythology comes from oral tradition, there's a wide variety across sources. Our myths may not always be the version you're familiar with, but we hope you'll enjoy them. Far above the mountains of Boeotia, past the great city of Thebes, and above the clouds themselves, a figure hovered at the gates of Olympus. A pair of mighty wings spread out behind her, and a whip coiled around her right hand. Her name was Nemesis. It was her task to bring judgment on mortals who went unpunished for evil deeds or profited from undeserved good fortune. She was the goddess of balance, ensuring that mortals did not experience joy or pain to excess. Her eyes were closed, and she listened carefully for mortal cries from below. A prayer came to her, whispered on the wind, from the city of Thespiae far below. It was the voice of a young man breaking with grief. His name was Amineas, and he was standing on a doorstep that did not belong to him. In his hands, he clutched a sword. Nemesis opened her eyes at the sound. The young man had drawn the sword and directed the point at his heart. The youth plunged the sword into his chest and collapsed on the doorstep. 
He coughed and sputtered for a moment, no regret in his eyes. Then his body went slack. Blood spread in a dark pool around him. Nemesis grinned. She had heard the prayers of countless scorned lovers from Thespiae, but none of those had even remotely sparked her interest. But now a boy was dead, all because of a broken heart. A man named Narcissus had rejected this boy, and it seemed to Nemesis that Narcissus needed a lesson in humility. Nemesis spread her wings and dove toward Boeotia, whip clutched tightly to her side. This would be fun. Welcome to Mythology on the Parcast Network. Every Tuesday, we present dramatic stories from ancient mythology and explore their origins. I'm your host and narrator, Vanessa Richardson. Today, we're finishing the story of Narcissus, the man who grew to represent the terrible cost of mixing beauty and pride. In the last episode, we followed the doomed love story of Amaneus, who pursued Narcissus's affection only to be crushed by the revelation that Narcissus cared only for himself. This week, we're approaching the more mythical side of the tale, drawing from the version of Narcissus as he appears in Ovid's Metamorphoses. In it, we get to see how the gods, specifically Nemesis, but even Zeus and Hera in their own way, get involved in the downfall of this proud man. At Parcast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. And if you enjoy today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help us. We also now have merch. Head to parcast.com slash merch for more information. Nemesis descended into the town of Thespiae, disguised as an old woman. She was determined to find this Narcissus, whoever he might be. She slipped through the streets unheeded by the mortals, most of whom were gossiping about the events of the night before. She passed Amaneus's house, where she stopped for a moment. The boy's body still lay within, though the crowd around him had thinned. She marveled at how young he was, how the only remarkable thing he ever did with his life was pine for a man beyond his reach. After his burial, his spirit would head for the river Styx. She knew he was not going to Elysium, or even the fields of Asphodel. No, his soul would journey to the mourning fields to join others who wasted their lives in unrequited love, a shame for one who only loved so briefly. <laughs> Nemesis perked up at another sound, greater pain than the family of Amaneus, or at least fresher pain. Not too far away, she detected another broken heart. She followed the sound to its origin. The weeping woman was face down, refusing to hear her mother's comforting words. Her tears ran so freely, Nemesis thought she might die of thirst. There, there, young woman. What causes your pain? What can I do for you? 
Nemesis saw a memory flutter to the surface of the distraught woman's mind. A man stood in a window before her, and though the image was blurry through tears, she could tell that he was stunningly beautiful. She watched as the woman timidly asked Narcissus to sit next to her at the feast to Artemis and heard him curtly answer, no, before turning his back. Though this man did nothing more, Nemesis was practiced in the art of reading mortals. In the split second before he turned away from his window, this hazy memory of a man was like an open book to her, his mind easy to read. I see that you want me. Of course you do. Who could have eyes and not look on me with such desire? But have you looked at yourself? You are not a match for such beauty. Be gone. Nemesis stepped back from this memory within a memory, considering the damage this Narcissus caused to his fellow mortals was not limited to the death of Amaneus. She ventured further to see what other emotional damage he had wrought. Traveling from house to house like a stray gust of wind, Nemesis found many mortals who suffered from broken hearts at Narcissus's hand. She moved through a haze of feelings, wistful sighs from men past their prime, searching glances from lonely widows, and stray kisses from young maidens on the air, all meant for Narcissus. After searching through every broken heart in Thespiae, Nemesis concluded that Narcissus coveted the effect he had on other people. His greed for these adulations hung over Thespiae like an early morning mist, turning the entire town damp with an ominous sense of longing and hunger. Nemesis had to find this mortal man, Following the direction of the Boeotians and utilizing a little tracking skill of her own, Nemesis finally found Narcissus walking through the woods. He clutched the shaft of a bow in one hand, moving with practiced stealth through the undergrowth. But Nemesis moved even quieter than he. She smirked to herself. Seeing him for the first time in the flesh, she understood why everyone made such a fuss about Narcissus. He was handsome, even by Olympian standards. But like her close friend Athena, Nemesis was married to her duty and found it easy to look past the allure of man. Judging Narcissus from afar was easy. The difficulty was choosing his punishment. Narcissus cursed to himself as he fired at a hare close to the ground and missed. What was going on with him today? Amaneus meant nothing to him. He was a foolish boy with a foolish dream. Narcissus knew it was better to be beautiful and cruel than kind and ugly. Maybe he'd move to the forest, just to spite Nestor, Croesus, and the others. Then they'd be sorry to see his beauty gone. He was too good for them anyway. And yet, he did not truly wish to leave Thespiae behind. Though he would never admit it, Amaneus was correct. Narcissus loved attention more than anything else and would never desert the company of his fellow men for fear of never getting that attention ever again. Frustrated, his fury simmered in his gut without anywhere to go. He could not focus on the hunt 
and could not stomach the idea of going back to the town. Curses! Do not mock me, Artemis. I will bring back a worthy prize today, with or without your blessing. Such pride. What manner of punishment do you deserve, young hunter? Shall I turn you into a deer, to get shot down by your former companions? Or perhaps I shall make you a tree on a lonely patch of ground, forever deserted by your kin. Hmm... No. Something more just. Narcissus wiped his brow and ventured further into the woods, unaware of the eyes of the goddess behind him. In Nemesis's eyes, he already had two marks against him, one for giving Amineus the means to kill himself, and the other for possessing beauty without proper humility before the gods. She would watch him, she decided, until she could sort out the perfect punishment. Luckily for her, not too far away from them, a crowd of partying nymphs and a jealous goddess would conspire to give Nemesis the inspiration she needed. When we return, we'll follow the collision course pushing a cursed nymph toward the embittered Narcissus. Now, back to the story. <laughs> Far from where Narcissus hunted, deep among the trees, a small clearing resounded with debauched joy. A party of reveling nymphs flitted from tree to tree. Their leader, Echo, was one of Artemis's favorite nymphs. She was known for her sharp tongue and propensity for small talk. Among the nymphs stood Zeus, the king of Olympus himself. Zeus always felt at home among wood nymphs. Their playful yet seductive nature thrilled him, in stark contrast to his wife, Hera, who treated love selectively and possessively. For their part, the nymphs enjoyed playing with a virile god, flattering him and feeding him nuts and berries. To Hades with Olympus. Let me live forever with the dryads and Anthuse among the trees. You flatter us, mighty Zeus. Do I? True, every moment away from my harping wife is sweeter than the last, but it would not be so sweet without you, my dears. <laughs> Are you certain she did not follow you here? You ask this every time, don't you, Echo? It's a question worth asking, Lord Zeus. Since you are so concerned, why don't you check to make sure we're alone? Your wish is my command. I shall be right back. <laughs> As the laughter of her sisters faded behind her, Echo cursed herself for not keeping her mouth shut. Even in the presence of such a fearsome Olympian as Zeus, she always had to speak her mind. This tendency usually endeared her to the god, but in this instance, bringing up Hera had prevented her from joining the fun. Nevertheless, she searched the surrounding forest for any sign of Hera or her spies. Echo reached a stream and stopped to drink from it, listening to the forest around her. Nothing was amiss until... Echo noticed a small glow at the base of a nearby oak. 
It was a minute fire, barely bigger than the tip of a candle, but growing fast. Before Echo had time to extinguish it, the ball of fire grew to the size of a strutting peacock, where it stopped, not producing smoke or even consuming the wood around it. From the flames stepped Hera, Zeus's wife. Her entrance was sudden, but almost casual in its grace. She looked the nymph up and down as the fire behind her dwindled back into the wood. Her eyes blazed with jealous fire. Echo had heard stories about Hera's fury before and wished once again that she hadn't voiced her concerns to Zeus. My lady Hera, what a surprise. Nay, an honor. Naturally. Do you wish to speak to Artemis? She is not ridden by yet today, but I thought I heard her horn over the hill there. Do not play dumb with me, nymph. Have you seen my husband? Uh, of course not. What would he be doing in our humble forest? This feigned ignorance bores me. I know what your kind are like. What do you mean? You and your sisters live like beasts and take great pleasure in drawing mortal men away from their wives and families for feral, brutish bliss. I am no fool. All due respect, my lady, but you appear to be mistaken. My sisters and I have not seen any Olympian down here in ages. We were just luring a hunter away from his friends. If you heard any laughter, that's what- Silence. What? Do you hear something? Quiet. The air is thick, like the clouds that precede a thunderstorm. He was here. Are you sure? Perhaps it was just a wild boar. As Hera tore through the woods looking for her unfaithful husband, Echo followed close on her heels. They sped between rows of trees while Echo attempted to dissuade or distract the jealous goddess. Finally, Hera reached the clearing the nymphs and Zeus had been frolicking in mere moments before and found it empty. Hera stood in the clearing, boiling with rage. In the deserted hollow, a single detail stuck out to her. Footprints on the earth. No nymph trod heavily enough to leave tracks. Echo began to creep away. She was relieved the others escaped in time, but did not wish to deal with Hera any longer than she had to. Where are you going? We've searched the entire forest, my lady. I thought I would go back to my tree. Your prattling on allowed my husband to slip away from me. What? I assure you, I had no intention of- Silence! What is your name? Echo, my lady. Echo. Well, Echo, it has been lovely chatting with you, but I am afraid you are going to be silent from now on. I promise, my lady, you will never hear from me again. You love having the last word, don't you? Well, this I will grant. You will always have the last word but no power to speak first. That will be your curse. Is that understood? Understood? Perfect. You may go now. Go now? Yes, I must be gone. Gone? Gone. Gone! Hera vanished, leaving the cursed nymph alone in the woods. Echo tried to speak, but her voice caught in her throat. Her mind could form words, but her mouth refused to release them. When a bird flew by, she could copy its song, but only for a little while. 
Eventually, she would always fade back into silence. She wandered through the trees and the underbrush, waiting for someone to find her. After what felt like ages, she heard a sound. It was the hunting horn of Artemis. Echo's heart leapt at the noise. Surely the goddess of the hunt would find some solution to Hera's curse. She sped toward the trumpeting sound, hope blossoming in her breast. Echo! Echo. Only to find her sisters. We've been searching for you since Hera departed. Where have you been? You been! Why are you looking so dour? We were not caught. Not caught. Why are you talking so funny? So funny. Oh my gods. Look at her, everyone. Echo cannot speak. Cannot speak. Did Hera curse you, talkative Echo? Talkative Echo. Whatever will we do without your gossip, Echo? Gossip Echo! 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 Perhaps you shall make an even better distraction next time we want to play with Lord Zeus. Lord Zeus. I wonder who will be Artemis's favorite now. Artemis's favorite now? Echo ran after the sound of Artemis's horn, but could not catch up. Her sisters badgered her every step of the way, chanting her name back at her, which she had no choice but to repeat. With no power to communicate, Echo became a creature of scorn for the other nymphs. She gestured wildly, trying to point towards Artemis, but they merely laughed at her flailing. After what felt like endless torment, Echo could not hear Artemis's horn and was stuck in the woods with her cruel sisters. As soon as she had the chance, she deserted them and took off running through the trees. As she ran deeper into the woods, she thought to herself, why couldn't they appreciate that she had taken the punishment for them? After all, they had slept with Zeus, not her. They acted like everything was a game, including Hera's curse. She withdrew into the deepest parts of the forest, playful jaunt gone from her step. No one but Hera could reverse this curse, and the bitter Queen of Olympus wasn't going to be in a forgiving mood when she next followed her husband here. Echo didn't know what to do. She felt desiccated and empty, like a tree that has shed all of its leaves for the fall. When we return, the cursed nymph encounters the soon-to-be cursed hunter, sealing both of their fates. Now back to the story. Nemesis quickly grew bored of watching Narcissus take out his anger on the nearby wildlife. He was a shallow man, and watching him had given her no useful insight on how to destroy him. It was clear to her that he was no longer hunting to forget Amineas. He was now hunting to defend his own pride. She watched him approach a stream, clearly exhausted, no longer making any effort to conceal his presence. Narcissus pulled his bow and his tunic off his shoulders. He took off his sandals and left them in a small pile in the grass. He then stepped into the river. A chill passed through his whole body, an almost divine feeling of serenity coming with it. 
This was the relief he needed. His difficult day of hunting, the misunderstanding in Thespiae, all his troubles vanished from his head in an instant. Oh my gods. My gods? Narcissus opened his eyes. Was that someone's voice repeating his words after him? Hello? Hello? Hmm, I must be hearing things. Narcissus was not hearing things. In her wanderings, Echo had happened upon Narcissus as he washed himself in the stream, and like many others before her, found herself awestruck by his beauty. Nymphs do not see mortal men as potential partners. They were playthings to be teased and discarded. But when she saw Narcissus, Echo could not help but fall madly in love with him. Standing behind a nearby tree, she was tempted to reveal herself to him then and there, but she held herself back. What if this man was easily frightened? He could run away and never hear from her again, or worse, run straight into the tusks of a boar or a pack of wolves. The thought of harm coming to such an exquisite creature made Echo feel sick. The most she could bring herself to do is slip his tunic from the pile of garments and hide it in a nearby bush. Such beauty should not be concealed. Narcissus stepped out of the stream and walked over to where he left his clothes and hunting gear. He put on his sandals, then stopped, knitting his brow in confusion. His tunic was gone. Once again, Narcissus looked around but saw no one standing nearby. What sort of animal takes a man's clothes but nothing else? Who is there? Is there? Echo could not stop herself. Hera's curse prevented her from staying silent. So with a deep breath, she stepped out from behind the tree. She found herself face to face with the handsome hunter, his bow raised in preparation for some kind of animal. As soon as he saw her, his eyes widened in awe. His hands lowered the bow. To mortal eyes, nymphs were ravishingly beautiful. Echo gave a small smile to the hunter, who remained transfixed on her. Do you have my tunic? My tunic. What manner of creature are you? A nymph? A nymph. Can you speak? You speak. Echo stepped forward reaching toward the hunter in a welcoming embrace. Maybe not being able to speak won't be such a horrible existence with this man to comfort me, she thought to herself. He was a salvation from her dreadful loneliness, built like a god himself. Her fingers reached him and began to run lightly over his chest. Watching from behind a nearby tree, Nemesis leaned forward. Now things were getting interesting. Stop. Stop? Yes, get off me. Off me. I know your tricks. You are fair, but not fair enough for me. For me? Your repetition annoys me. Be gone. Gone. Narcissus strapped on his bow and left, no longer caring about his nakedness. The nymph's attentions revitalized him, but he could not stand her mindlessly repeating his words. Echo stared after him tears forming in her eyes. In her immortal life, she hadn't shed a single tear until today. Her sobs were silent, but not unnoticed, 
for in the nearby bushes, Nemesis watched the whole scene. Nemesis grinned to herself. The hunter was so enamored with his own beauty that he didn't think even a nymph was worthy of him. His punishment had finally become clear to her. When Narcissus left, she stepped forward and touched Echo on the shoulder. Do not worry, fair nymph. He will be punished. Be punished! Where are you going? Why do you follow him? Follow him! <sighs> be it mortal or immortal, I will never understand the ways of love. Hers is the last heart you will ever break, Narcissus. When the smitten Echo pursued Narcissus, Nemesis went ahead of them both, anticipating the hunter's path. In a clearing ahead of them, she conjured a small pool of water, with a surface as polished and smooth as a mirror. In it, she worked a special kind of magic, personalized for Narcissus. Let any man who looks at this pool forget himself and see only his reflection staring back at him. Let him be robbed of his common sense and look upon himself as a stranger. It was not long before Narcissus felt sweat running down his brow and a thirst rise in his throat. He should not have left the stream so quickly. Perhaps he wouldn't have if that nymph had not been so... Narcissus gaped. His eyes alighted on Nemesis's pool, a needed reprieve from his all-consuming thirst once again. He ran to the water, tossing his bow aside as he went. Hello. Who are you? Narcissus had caught sight of his own reflection. Caught by Nemesis's magic, Narcissus saw before him the most striking man he had ever seen, and not recognizing it as himself, fell deeply in love. You are breathtaking. I have waited my entire life to find someone worthy of my affections. And you... Narcissus reached toward the pool and his hand went straight through the love of his life. He recoiled, but could not tear his eyes away. I love you. Love you. I should eat soon. I have caught nothing today. Nothing today. To Hades with food. Looking upon your face is the only sustenance I need. I need. How I long to touch you. To hear you say I love you back. Love you back. Do not toy with me like this. Like this. Narcissus continued pledging love to himself for weeks on end. His face and body shriveled from hunger, but he could not look away as the same happened to his beloved in the reflection. Even when his heart gave out, his eyes stayed fixed upon the water. He died in that spot, bent over the pool. Echo watched him for the rest of his life, wistfully repeating his pledges of love back to him. Her heart broke again when he died, a withered, bony husk of his former beauty. Eventually, she too dwindled away. Her physical form grew brittle like a dead tree until it crumbled completely. Only her voice remained, floating through the breeze, repeating any words uttered nearby, eventually settling in caves and canyons where it can be heard 
to this day. As for Narcissus, after several days, his hunting companions noticed he was missing and struck out to search for him. They combed the forest for months, but never found a body. The only trace of Narcissus they could find was his bow, lying abandoned in a clearing. A few paces away from it was a small pool of water. Not seeing their friend, the hunters did not tarry in the clearing and moved on. If they had looked closer, they would have noticed a small yellow flower, leaning over the surface of the pool as if enamored with its own reflection. That flower was all that remained of the man who loved himself too much. It is said that even in death, Narcissus could not escape Nemesis's curse. Often when other Greek heroes descend through the underworld, they catch a glimpse of him, staring at his own reflection in the river Styx, unable to tear his gaze away from the one true love of his life. Like many Greek myths, the tale of Narcissus ties back into the natural world. In this case, a particular strain of flower that is known for its beauty and penchant for growing near bodies of water. The Narcissus genus of flower includes many different varieties, such as Hermione, Daffodowndilly, and Daffodils. The particular strain of this flower native to Greece is called the Narcissus poeticus and is known for its intoxicating scent. It makes an appearance in the myth of Persephone, where Hades uses it as a lure for the nature goddess. Since writings about the flower predate the myth itself, it's unknown whether the flower was named after the character Narcissus or the character Narcissus was named after the flower. Perhaps this functioned as a form of foreshadowing to people who heard early versions of this story, giving savvy listeners a hint as to Narcissus's eventual ironic fate. If Narcissus had been born humble, he could have had love, glory, and honor. But as he went through life hurting others to feed his ego, he ended his life entirely devoid of satisfaction. Whether a beautiful man or a beautiful flower, Narcissus reminds us of the age-old adage, pride comes before the fall. Thanks again for tuning in to Mythology. We'll be back Tuesday with a new episode. If you enjoy mythology, you'll love my other podcast, Tales. Tales presents fairy tales the way they were originally told, orally and unadulterated. Traditional fairy tales aren't exactly suitable for children, and every other Saturday we dive into another dark, classic tale. You can find Tales, more episodes of Mythology, and all of ParCast's other podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or your favorite podcast directory. Several of you have asked how to help Mythology. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review while you're there. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, at ParCast, and Twitter, at ParCast Network. We'll be back next week with another epic tale. Mythology was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Freddie Beckley. 
Mythology is written by Robert Teamstra. The amazing cast of voice actors includes, by alphabetical order, Mike Capozzi, Susanna Corrington, Jerry Courtney Austin, Harris Markson, and Sammy Nye. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Thank you.